You may be seated. And good morning to those of you who've joined us in the room. It's great to see your faces. And uh, good morning to those who've joined us online. Can't see your faces, but glad that you're present with us as we worship the Lord together. And perhaps you've been uh, praying for the folks affected by the hurricane there in Louisiana and Mississippi, that even affected the mid-Atlantic states. Uh, I know uh, that brought back a lot of memories from Katrina. I'm sure the folks there uh, felt that way, and we need to be, continue to pray for the relief efforts that are taking place uh, there. But it did remind me of uh, the Katrina response. And at the time after Katrina in 2005, I was the senior pastor at Bible Center Church in Charleston, West Virginia. And we had there in Charleston an air guard unit with C-130s up at Jaeger Airport that's really centrally located to the whole community there. And uh, what, what happened in the aftermath of Katrina was that some of those C-130s, three or four days after the storm came through, were used to transport people who had stayed in their homes through the whole hurricane and hadn't evacuated, but needed to be evacuated from the roof and all those kinds of things. Some of them had been on the roofs for three or four days. Uh, they were pretty weary and worn. And then the C-130s would take them uh, from New Orleans, in our case, bringing them to Charleston, West Virginia. Flights were used in commercial airlines to take some of these folks rescued after the storm to different parts of the country, whether it be the C-130s or the commercial flights. The idea was to position people to be near family that could come and get them. Uh, and so in our case there in West Virginia, uh, a guard base was used as kind of a temporary spot for them. And uh, family would come from surrounding areas and, and help those folks uh, get away, of course, from the storm and be able to settle in. And what had happened was quite a system had been set up at the airport through the Red Cross and volunteers from our, ch our church and other churches were involved. And what they did is as these folks would be taken from their roofs, they'd be taken with like a bag of the only belongings they had, maybe a cat, a dog, a bird, whatever it was, and they'd be put immediately onto a plane and flown to these locations. And so that when they'd arrive in Charleston on these flights, you'd have a couple hundred people that were still wearing the clothes they were snatched from the roofs on, and so they'd go through an area of showers and even some decontamination because of the disease and everything would be traveling with them. And then they'd be given food and new clothes, and, and even the state troopers and FBI were there to screen folks because a lot of folks who stayed behind did some not so good things, and some of them were trying to sneak into the crowd. And so it was quite an interesting system up there. A number of our folks volunteered. What would happen would be, a flight would leave New Orleans and they'd notify the folks at Jaeger and the Red Cross would call all their volunteers and they'd come up and receive each flight. Sometimes they'd come right after one after another. Other times they'd come six or seven hours apart. And the governor of West Virginia at the time was a man named Joe Manchin, who's become quite uh, famous in politics right now because of the position he's been in. And um, Governor Manchin at the time would greet each plane because from the governor's mansion from uh, the state capitol, he could be at the airport in about five minutes. So he would go and uh, get on each plane and welcome folks and tell them he was the governor and on behalf of the great state of West Virginia, welcome. We want to help you do whatever we can. And flight after flight, that took place. And then there were a couple of days where there were no flights and things sort of started to settle in. And then there was word that one more flight was coming, but the governor was at a distance and uh, his office called me and he reached out to me to ask me to greet the plane that was arriving on behalf of the governor in the state of West Virginia. Quite an honor. So as I got to the airport and parked my car, I started thinking to myself, I hadn't been able to be up there with the Red Cross and people from our church. So I was like, this, I'm going to be a servant and I'm going to show hospitality to these people and get to greet them in the name of the governor. And this is just a wonderful opportunity to serve others in Jesus' name. So uh, they took me 
in a trooper's car out and we waited on the tarmac and the plane landed and they were going to get out there on the ground, not go through the, a jetway or anything. And they opened the door, put steps up and the trooper helped me get up into the plane. I come in and as I look out, I see people just, I mean, just devastation, devastated. You could see it on their faces and the clothing and just the smell of the plane was like a wet sock. They've been sitting in the bottom of a laundry basket for a long time. And they had trash bags and birds and bicycles. I mean, this was not an FAA-approved way to fly in any, by any means, but it was a rescue flight. And uh, so you could tell, they just, and just made my heart say, oh man, I get to serve these people. I got the microphone that the flight attendant would use, and I said, hi, I'm Sean Thornton, the senior pastor at Bible Center Church here. And uh, on behalf of Governor Joe Manchin in the great state of West Virginia, I want to welcome you to Charleston, West Virginia. Now, I've been told that every time Governor Manchin said that, when, when uh, Joe spoke, he got the response that was cheering and people thanked him. And so I thought, this is a great way to serve God. But when I said, welcome on behalf of Governor Manchin in the great state of West Virginia to Charleston, West Virginia, there was silence. I kind of repeated myself and now people are talking and they're grumbling and then people start cussing at me and calling me four-letter words. And this was not what I was expecting in my serving Jesus in this moment. And I'm confused and I repeat the whole thing again and they're getting louder and calling me all kinds of four-letter names. And finally, one guy shouts out and said, we were told this plane was going to Charleston, South Carolina, not Charleston, West Virginia. And so these people had no family coming there. Family members were already in their cars driving to Charleston, South Carolina. The pilots had confused which Charleston they were going to. By the way, that's not totally unusual. There have been even commercial flights that have messed that up. And so I got at the base of the steps and I was told that as the governor had done, I would greet each person that had got off the plane. That was not a good experience for me at all, whatsoever. <laughs> now, whether those folks had, re had re just celebrated and they were in the right place and, and I had no pushback whatsoever, or I got the response I got. I can tell you that I went there with this attitude in my heart, look at me, I'm gonna serve Jesus. And like I say, it could have turned out more positively, but I think God used the kind of negative twist on this to when I'm driving down the road, it's up, the Jaeger Airport's up on a mountain, as I'm driving down the windy road down into the city, uh, the, I'm just wrestling with the Lord, and the Lord said, you know, your, your attitude on the way there wasn't quite right. You weren't there to serve others and me. It was a little bit about you. And I don't know if God does that in your life where every now and then he just says, hey, you know, this isn't the way my child should be. This is not the attitude my child should have. And the Lord continues to do that in my life. And I won't forget that occasion. And it helped me grow in the area we want to talk today about how we serve other people and the spirit and attitude by which we serve others. Uh, you know, really when you talk about serving others, this is, the, is, is at the heart of Christ's kingdom. His perspective, his values, when Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God wants his kingdom to spread through his children and how we live and how we love and how we relate in this world. But at the heart of that is this concept of serving others. If you want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, you can go there on a Bible app on your mobile phone. But Matthew chapter 20, the Gospel of Matthew We'll be looking at this passage, and we're going to be exploring today another one of the practices we've been talking about when it comes to our Christian walk. The series is Journey, How to Walk with God. We've been dealing with spiritual practices or 
spiritual disciplines, healthy habits that we cultivate in our lives as the follower of Jesus, to be healthy and vibrant in our walk with him, to become more like Jesus. We've dealt with uh, worship, we've dealt with scripture reading, we've talked about community. Last week we talked about confession, and this week we talk about the spiritual practice of service. Now, again, let's think about what a spiritual practice is or spiritual practices are. Intentional behaviors, habits, or disciplines that help us walk with God and be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Maybe you have been cultivating worship and scripture reading and community and confession. This week we have an opportunity to encourage you this week and the week ahead to think about how you serve others. So what is the practice or the discipline of service in the Christian life? It's this, finding a practical way to add value to someone else's life without any expectation of getting anything in return. This is through a word, through an attitude, a smile, an action, a behavior, your presence. In some way, you add value to someone else's life. And by the way, this isn't just to strangers. This starts with your spouse. It starts with your children. It moves into your neighborhood and your coworkers in the body of Christ and, and even eventually to total strangers. But the idea that we serve others we add value to their lives as we bring compassion and grace and kindness and help to them. But we do it without strings attached, without what we can get out of it. And let me tell you this, though. When you do serve selflessly other people like Jesus did, there is a satisfaction, a joy that comes. There's even a, a physical benefit, a mental health benefit, psychological benefit to that. All kinds of tests or, or research has shown that. But, but we do it with an understanding that we're doing it for the well-being of someone else, whether or not we get something out of it that could be identified. You see, the heart of Christ's kingdom is serving others, not convincing, outmaneuvering, coercing, or dominating them. In the passage we're going to see, Jesus basically says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And he says it's not the way you would think in the world. And so what he's going to give us is an upside-down way to transform our world. And it is radical and different, and it's something that many churches don't latch on to and many followers of Christ don't latch on to, that at the heart of Christ's kingdom is serving others. It's not about getting positions of influence politically or socially where we convince and maneuver and outmaneuver and coerce and dominate. Jesus himself exemplified the heart of his kingdom, serving other people. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. Now, Zebedee's wife, we know, was the name Salome in the New Testament. And she comes to Jesus with two of his apostles that have been traveling with him for three years. This is about nine to ten days before Jesus' crucifixion, this occasion happens. And we see this woman, Mrs. Zebedee, arrive with her two sons, and she's going to ask a favor of Jesus, kneeling down before him. Now, sometimes we read this story and we think that this mother just showed up. She'd never been around the disciples and Jesus when they were together, but that's not the case. As a matter of fact, if you read the story of the Gospels, you find out that she and other women traveled with the disciples and Jesus at various times. Not always, but they were there. Luke 8 says they helped provide financial support and help for the ministry and they would travel in, in larger groups. She's probably one of the 120 that was there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down on the church. 
She's, she's not some obscure figure in the life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, she's one of just a couple of people who's present for the crucifixion, the burial, and she's one of the first people to find the open tomb. This is not a stranger. She's someone who, if you go back and you read the last few chapters of the book of Matthew before you get to chapter 20, Jesus has been talking about his death. He's been talking about rising in. He's talking about his kingdom and what it's going to be like. And so as they go to Jerusalem for this Passover week, she senses something big is up and, and this kingdom's about to be launched. And, and so she and her sons have this idea that they can, they can get their foot in the door first to be leaders in his kingdom. So kneeling down, and by the way, that's a position of, it's hard to refuse a mom. And those of you who have Jewish backgrounds have shared with me that a Jewish mother can be quite persuasive. <laughs> and asked a favor of him. Verse 21, what is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. But you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. He looks past the woman kneeling. He's speaking to them. Can you drink, John and James, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Remember, uh, about a week later, he's going to say to the Lord, if this cup can pass to me, he's going to say to his father in the garden, let it pass. What is the cup? It's a cup of suffering. And he's saying, you want to be great in my kingdom. Guess what? There's going to be some suffering that comes along from carrying out my mission and, and spreading the values and priorities of my kingdom and sharing the hope of me, the king of that kingdom, with people who need me. There's going to be some suffering that's going to come. Now, we know from the book of Acts that James was the first of the apostles to be martyred for his faith and his ministry. Then we know from church history that John lived to be the oldest of the apostles, and yet there were many times that enemies of the cross tried to martyr him, and he survived a number of things, if church history tells us this correctly. These two guys would suffer. But he says, you ready? And they say, we can. They had no idea what that meant, but they said, we can. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Ultimately, Jesus is coming back one day to establish his eternal kingdom as King of kings and Lord of lords forever. But right now, his kingdom spreads not from some political or social or cultural structure in this world, but through the lives of his followers. His values, his priorities are lived out in us as we live in grace and holiness, as we live out his truth and his love. And he says, look, about positions in my kingdom one day, that is not my concern. The Father's got that. It reminds us how the scriptures say that the, the Lord raises up kings and takes kings down. And he's saying, don't get distracted with all that. Let me tell you what my kingdom is about. It's totally different. Verse 24, when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. The other 10 hear that John and James have gone to Jesus with their mother. And they're upset. They're ticked off. You see, the disciples are caught up in what we do in the world, which is we vie for position and influence and power, and we try to gain something in the structures around us, and we think that's the way to transforming culture. That's the way to transforming the world. Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority of them. You know that in this world, the whole model is top down. 
you want to have influence, you want to change things, you want to spread values, you want to give, give priority to the things of God, the idea is that you've got to get positions of power. Verse 26, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. See, the kingdom of Jesus Christ doesn't fit into the philosophy and systems of this world, this broken, sinful world. That's why Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, Father. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why he sent out his disciples. That's why he sends us into the world to, to live out his kingdom values and not just his values, but his values his way, spreading it his way. This is totally upside down. This is not what you're going to get in most... Uh, leadership courses is that, that you should just be a servant and not worry about positions and structure and power. And then he says, I'm the example of this. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man, just as I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. As a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come here to be served, but to serve. As God the Son, should he and does he have the right to be served? Oh, yes, he does. But he said, I came here to serve. And he lived a life of service. The night before the crucifixion, he washed the disciples' feet, bowing down in humility and said, here's the example, serve like I served. And then he says, the ultimate picture of service is that I sacrifice myself for the ransom of many. Now, we think of a ransom, we think of someone being held hostage. And the ransom is paid to free the hostage, to free the hostage. Well, that's exactly the imagery here. We as human beings from the time we're born are held hostage by sin and brokenness and failure, our sinful nature before a holy, righteous God. We're held hostage by sin. God saw that and in his love, he knew we couldn't rescue ourselves. We couldn't free ourselves. We couldn't be good enough or go to church enough or be kind enough. We'd never be able to release ourselves from that bondage. That's why Jesus came. When he died and was crucified and was raised from the dead, he paid the price for our ransom. And every one of us has had that ransom paid for in full by Jesus. And the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus, at that moment, we then are released from the bondage of sin. We're given forgiveness and eternal life from him. But all of us have to come to that point where we say, okay, I get it. I'm in bondage of sin. Jesus paid the ransom. I've been held hostage. I want to be free in Jesus. And we come to Jesus and we simply say that to him. I see the sin in my life. Free me from that sin with the price you paid. Then God gives us new life. And for those of us in the room who, who know we've been freed, it is so wonderful and so incredibly freeing to then be freed. And now we can serve and we can spread his kingdom through serving others. But unless you know Jesus, you can't have that kind of freedom. Let me just invite you, if you're in the room, uh, to, to put your faith in Jesus. If you join us online, put your faith in Jesus. If you're here on campus, I'll be on the patio afterwards. We'd love to celebrate with you that you came to Jesus today. If you're online or in the room and you maybe got to move off the campus pretty quickly, you've got something else, but, but you say, I'm doing business with God. I, I put my faith in Jesus. We'd love to celebrate that with you. And you can text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. And if you text the name Jesus to that number, then we'll give you some resources to help you understand what it means in your new freedom in Christ to walk with Christ and grow in him. What it means to be his child. We'll also have someone reach out to you this week and, and personally connect with you so you can understand what it means to be freed from 
that position of being held hostage by sin because of Jesus and what he did for you, you can be free. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to ultimately give my life as a ransom for many. This is upside down thinking. It doesn't fit into any human structure or philosophy. This idea that the way you transform the world is by bowing down and serving others. And I want to just share with you 10 quick things about when we serve like Jesus. When we serve like Jesus. Number one, serving is a way of life, not an occasional event. Serving is a way of life, not an occasional event. And I know you could say, well, I'm going Tuesday night to serve in this ministry at Calvary. I'm going to go help with Habitat for Humanity. Or I'm helping with action on this Saturday. Or our small group is going to serve in this way. Or I work in children's ministry. Or you, you, can, you, can, you can look at a time. But that's a milestone in a journey that is a way of life. You see, we should ask God to give us eyes to see the needs of our spouse, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, uh, to see the people that come across our path every day, that we see them with the eyes of Jesus, that we understand what they're going through with the heart of Christ. Serving is a way of life, not an occasional event. It's not just about good intentions to say, one day when this happens, then we'll begin to serve. When, when we get to this stage, then we'll be able to really make a difference in the lives of others. No, it's a way of life. Peter Marshall said, small deeds done are better than great deeds planned. This isn't well intentions or a good idea. That's not serving. Serving is rolling up your sleeves and helping someone, saying a kind word, being there for them. In his wonderful book, The Celebration of Discipline, that was a tool that someone used to disciple me in my teen years, Richard Foster deals with 12 different disciplines and practices, many of them we've already dealt with, but this chapter on service in my own life uh, about the practice of service from Foster just gripped me. And it's one of the most highlighted chapters in that book for me. And it says, he gives some not so obvious ways we serve others. It's just a part of the way of life when you serve like Jesus. The service of being served and receiving gifts and blessings from others. The ability to have someone thank you. The ability to have someone give you a gift, to bless you. That's a part of serving others. The service of common courtesy toward people. The service of hospitality. The service of listening to others. When I looked at my original copy of this book that I got back in probably 1982 or 1983, and I was looking at this chapter, I noticed that I had underlined and highlighted this little sentence and put out to the side, I need this. And here I am 40 years earlier, underlining it again, saying, I need this. The service of just listening to someone share their heart with you. Is, is kind of a uh, not-so-obvious way, but it's a way to serve. The service of bearing burdens and sorrows for others, being there when they're grieving, when they're hurting, just sitting with them, holding their hand, putting your arm around them. The service of beginning to care and becoming sensitive to the needs of others and seeing their needs. The service of being available to others with your time, your experiences, your spiritual maturity, uh, your, your, your energy, your, your, your whole self. Serving is a way of life, not an occasional event. Secondly, serving is all about others, not about us. Serving is all about others, not about us. If someone says, look at me, I'm a servant, they're not. It's about the other people. Pastor Dick Thompson, who serves as our 
seasoned adult ministries pastor or our senior adult ministries pastor, he shared a story of the Righteous Brothers. These are some men in their 70s and 80s who've met on our campus for several years for a Bible study weekly, and they get together, sing some hymns, and study scripture. And he talked about in his first times to meet with them, he discovered that there were two men. One man would help another man put his hands on his walker and get out of the room. And then a few minutes later, it seemed like quite a bit of time they'd come back. And he learned that what it was is that the one man was just helping his friend get to the bathroom and back. And, and he made no fanfare about it. He didn't make a big announcement of what he was doing. He just quietly got up, helped his friend, and came back. That's when you make it all about others, not about yourself. Service, fo- serving like Jesus focuses on what we give, not what we get. It's what we release, what we give to others, what we invest in others, not what we get from them. It's not so we do this so they will do that or so they will give this to us. Amy Carmichael, who spent 55 years in India rescuing young girls primarily, but even boys from pagan temple worship there, she had a a focus on investing in other people. And Amy Carmichael said, you can always give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Part of loving is you give something. You give of your time, your energy, your space. You give something. Fourthly, when we serve like Jesus, serving concentrates on extending love, not gaining influence. See, if you read this, you say, oh, I see. The faster way to gain influence is to serve others. You're missing the point. You don't concentrate on, I'm going to do this so I can get that. This is not manipulation. This is us freely serving other people and extending the love and grace that God has shown to us to other people. Not so we can gain greater influence. Galatians 5.13, the Apostle Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather Rather, serve one another humbly in love. As Christians, we are freed from, uh, from that hostage situation with sin. As Americans, we have great freedom in our nation. And sometimes we, we claim all our rights to freedom, but we forget our responsibility that that freedom allows us to humbly love and serve other people. Serving concentrates on extending love, not gaining influence. Fifth, when we serve like Jesus, serving prioritizes the overlooked, not the well-connected. Jesus had this ability to serve among wealthy, influential people and also to serve among those that were just lost in the cracks and crevices of life. He could be at a meal with someone very wealthy and notice someone who had nothing and he would prioritize the one who was overlooked and marginalized. Often he did it with children and women and people from different races where where even his disciples would push them to the fringes. Jesus brought them to the center and he served them. He loved them. He helped them. And that needs to be the pattern in our lives as the followers of Jesus Christ. The sixth way, sixth thing we need to know about serving at the heart of his kingdom As when we serve like Jesus, serving flourishes in obscurity, not in getting recognition. Serving just thrives and flourishes if nobody notices. It doesn't have to get attention or recognition. 
Many of you serve here at Calvary in that way. There's some of us who serve here on the platform and people notice us. Some of you lead and serve in other places where people may know who you are. But there are hundreds of people who serve week in and week out in some of the programming here at Calvary and you serve and you don't need any recognition. You just do it because that's what Jesus calls you to do. And you, many of you know the blessing of that. Some of you just serve the people around you in your home and at your place of work and your neighborhood. You just serve them naturally and you don't need recognition or attention or a pat on the back. God bless you. That's serving like Jesus. That's the heart of his kingdom. I think of Carolyn, who for 22 years has served behind the scenes here at Calvary. Since Calvary moved into this campus, onto this campus 22 years ago, Carolyn has been the one to prepare communion. She comes in the day before, gets the, the cups ready and the juice and the crackers, and she has some team members who serve in obscurity with her. But she's done that for 22 years, just serving in the background, needing no recognition or attention. And when we move to the little things that have the, you pull off and you got the cracker and the juice so we can do that in a healthy way, our team just thought, you know, Carolyn, you don't have to do this because we can just put it, we can, we can do that and make that happen. And she said, no, I want to keep serving in that way. How great is that? How Carolyn and others serve like that around communion. We don't even know they're serving us. Then I think of Joey. When we do our Christmas shop, our community Christmas shop, where people who are financially challenged and won't be able to provide any toys for their kids at Christmas, and all of us together bring toys in. You know, those toys don't just, just move from the lobby into this ministry where the families can get toys for their kids. We even provide them these kind of uh, phony dollars so they can have dignity in buying. They, they, they know that these things cost, and they choose what's right for, for their kids. And somebody has to figure all that out. Well, as the toys come in, 2,500 toys usually every year at, uh, just before Christmas, as they come in week after week, Joey comes in and spends time just sorting the toys into boys and girls and figuring out, you know, what the price would be and what we should put on it in terms of when the folks come to use those dollars to, to buy something. And he works hours and hours and hours behind the scenes and nobody knows he's doing it. And then at Christmas shop, Pastor Gina Spivey, our pastor of Special Abilities Ministries, tells me that he, he just finds satisfaction watching as those toys are chosen by those parents and taken out and or a blessing, he serves behind the scenes and nobody notices and he doesn't need recognition. Gina then shared with me also of a volunteer in her ministry named Stephanie. And she said, Stephanie will show up Sunday morning at nine, Sunday morning at 11 and serve. So shows up for all the different events, worships on Sunday night so she can serve on, uh, excuse me, worships on Saturday night so she can then serve on Sunday morning, and Gina said you can give her any VIP with any challenges regarding physical or cognitive, and, and Stephanie's willing to work with that important person in the special abilities ministry, and Gina says she never asks for any recognition. She never tries to get any recognition, and she says we often hear about how she went and helped a family here, or she went and met a need there and showed up there, and it was just a part of who she is and what she does, even outside the program or the ministry here at Calvary. I heard the story this week of Alan. We have our fresh market ministry on Tuesdays. We go to different grocery stores and they give us products that haven't expired but are getting close to that point. And these are perishable items. We can't keep in our food pantry. They can only be 
with us a day or two, and then we got to distribute them. And so our fresh market distributes fresh meats and dairy products and produce to people every Tuesday. Thank you for all who serve there. But I heard about Alan, who goes and has done this for about five years or, or more to get food from the different places. And, and uh, Alan will turn 89 next month. And every... Sunday or Monday, he's going to these grocery stores and bringing in groceries. And they say a couple years ago, they tried to figure out how much food Alan is moving for Fresh Market, and they figured out it was about one and a half tons of food every week. And then they said, and you know what? Alan's built a friendship with some of the people who at the grocery stores provide the food, you know, the people who work in the stock room and stuff. And there was one guy going through a really tough time and he, Alan started to pray with him and they said, it got to the point you'd go with Alan to get the groceries. The man would just fall into Alan's arms and ask for prayer. Then Alan learned that one of the ladies who worked in the stock room of one of the local grocery stores, that um, she was living out of her car. While well, he couldn't convince her to come stay with he and his wife, Marilyn, Alan provided food and anything that she would need until she got a place to live. See, it went beyond the program. It was a servant's heart, and it's a willingness to serve in obscurity without any recognition. And many of you do that all of the time. But some of you may say, that was a part of my past. I used to be engaged in serving others. When I first came to Jesus, there was a season in my spiritual journey. And maybe it's time for you to ask God to help you cultivate afresh the spiritual discipline and practice of serving others, adding value to someone else's life without expecting anything in return and getting no recognition for it. The seventh thing I think we need to understand about when we serve like Jesus is that when we serve like Jesus, serving embodies the gospel, not just represents it. What do I mean by that? We can say the good news of Jesus Christ, of how Christ came for us, and there's life in him, and life transformation in him, and eternal life in him. We can, we can talk about that, and, and we kind of represent it, and how wonderful it is. But when we serve, like Jesus called John and James and all the apostles to serve, and calls all of his followers to serve, and we serve like that, we not only just represent it, we embody it. And what is the good news? Well, the good news is God saw us in our need and God the Son came to us in humility not to be served but to serve and to give his life for us sacrificially. So the embodiment of that gospel is going to be us going to others in their need and, and meeting that need, serving them and then pointing them to the one who gave his life as a ransom for them. We embody that. This last Tuesday, August 31st, we concluded our ministry budget year. And September 1st, Wednesday, we started a new ministry and budget year. And as you know, we try to give away 20% of everything that comes into Calvary. And as the month of August settles, we're not only settling for that month what we need to give away, but we're settling for the whole year. And so we gave resources to help in Uganda with some food distribution and add another uh, floor to the school, a God Care school in Uganda. And we gave money for relief in Haiti with the earthquake and many, many projects all around the world. And one of the things that God allowed us to do on Tuesday was to give $50,000 to our ministry partner who's on the ground working with the Afghan church and Afghan refugees in that region and around the world. And that's because of your generosity. 
And one of the wonderful things that happened was for me, I, I'm not going to forget this for the entire ministry year. September 1st, Wednesday morning, my first appointment as senior pastor here at Calvary was a Zoom call with the leader of that ministry who helps us minister to the Iranian church, kind of the underground church there. It was a Zoom meeting with about 100 people around the United States and ministries and churches and people who support them. And uh, they told us that they've already seen the fruit of what's been happening as a result of what happened in Afghanistan. There were some Afghan folks living in Istanbul who moved to Istanbul in this whole evacuation. And, and they came to Jesus last weekend and Tuesday. Uh, out of 10 people they baptized there in the church in Istanbul, eight of them were Afghan people who came to Jesus. God is at work even in the midst of this mess. And then, praise God, and then... On this little half hour, 40 minute call, the, the leader of this ministry said, I want to introduce you Hamid. Hamid is in Athens, Greece. He's ministering to some of the refugees. And Hamid is from Afghanistan himself as he ministers to the refugees that have arrived. They're giving out New Testaments. They're sharing the hope of Jesus. They're serving those people in whatever they can do. So Hamid got on the Zoom. And oh my, to listen to Hamid talk about his heart for the Afghan people and how the church is still thriving even under the changes that are coming. And then the leader of this ministry, David, said to Hamid, Hamid, share with folks what your prayer is personally for the people of Afghanistan, your people. And Hamid said, pray with me because my prayer is that soon, soon, even, even under all these conditions, God would allow me to return to Afghanistan my prayer is to have a cup of tea with a member of the Taliban and share Jesus with them. I thought, really? That's like last on my list in any possible way. He talked about going to serve the Taliban. That is very counterintuitive, isn't it? But that's the, the mindset Jesus is saying to James and John and their mother, you're going to suffer. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be normal. It's, it's going to be counterintuitive, but you're, you're going to spread my kingdom as you serve others. You see, serving, what Hamid was saying is embodying the gospel as he's going to, he wants to take it back. Even if he's taking it to the people right there in his path in Athens, he wants to take it back to people far from God in his homeland. Well, we serve like Jesus, number eight, excuse me, number nine, serving advances the king and his kingdom, not just his kingdom. Pastor Mark Sayer, an Australian pastor, says the church has got to get beyond this idea that we are spreading the kingdom without the king. What does that mean? Well, we know that Christ's kingdom has the values of heaven, of holiness and righteousness. There's a value of life, a value of all races. There's a value of morality. There's a value of compassion and love. And as we, as the followers of Jesus, live that out, as God transforms us and we serve others, then we want to spread not just those values, we want to make sure they know the king of those values. You see, there has been this movement in the church that the church has struggled with for centuries, actually, which is the social gospel, that we feed people and we serve people and we do things for people and we never mention Jesus to them. That's the king without the kingdom. 
There's also this thing the church has dealt with for hundreds of years is the idea that if we can get political power, we can stop uh, systemic racism. We can stop uh, the, the, the death culture of abortion and euthanasia. We can stop the, the sexual immorality. If we can just get the right people into power and into positions, then we politically can give the kingdom values to our state, our nation, our world. That's the kingdom without the king. Now, is it wrong as a Christian to be involved in politics? No, we need good Christian politicians. Is it right for us to vote and to vote our conscience? Yes. But what Jesus is saying at the heart of this is we can't try to gain social leverage or political leverage or business leverage or some political power so that then we get our values from the top down and people will just by law follow our values. Because then you just get the next people who get elected or the right personality who sweeps people this way or this judge goes this way or that judge goes this way. You want long systemic change. You want the right people to be leading in this nation. Then you serve your neighbor. You serve your coworker. And as you do, you share Jesus with them. And as one heart shares the gospel with another person and shows them the reality of Christ in serving them, then that heart is changed. And then that heart is changed. And then that heart is changed. Then you see that home change. Then you see that neighborhood change. Then you see that community change. Then you see the state change. And then you see something happen where the nation is changed. And then you see the world turned upside down by the gospel, lived out where we're, we're, we're taking not just the kingdom to people, but we're taking the king to people. And I've had people say to me, oh, Sean, you're so naive. We've got to get political power. It's not going to work. I'm not saying that. I mean, I understand how things work in this world. You know what Jesus left us? And some people say, well, that doesn't work in a democracy. What we're talking about works under dictatorships, democracies, monarchies. It doesn't matter. Socialism, Marxism, it doesn't matter. This is the kingdom of Christ. And when people come to Jesus, there is systemic change, deep change in the heart. Then there's systemic change in the home, in the neighborhood, the community, the nation, the world. And people say, oh, you're just so naive. We've got to get these positions of power and influence and culture and politics. And no, we don't. I mean, that's not our priority. That's the result of us doing what ought to be happening in the kingdom. It's not our cause. It's not our mandate. It's not our mission. We have believers today who can explain everything about why abortion is bad and racism is bad and CRT this and that. We have people who are Christians who can share all the details of that, but they can't share the clear gospel of Jesus Christ with their neighbor. And we need to be people who live out the gospel and share the gospel. That's why we've invited Mark, or excuse me, uh, Greg Kukul to, to have that seminar to help us know how to share our faith in love with other people. You can't separate the king and his kingdom. This is one heart, one life, heart by heart, life by life, neighborhood by neighborhood, country by country, and the world. You say, well, how long do we do this till Jesus comes? Won't that take a lot more than the people in this room or the people who call Calvary home to change our state, to change our nation? Jesus sent out 12 people. And in just a couple hundred years, the emperor of Rome came to Jesus. You say, well, that, but we are looking for long-term systemic world, world change, not quick fixes. You say, well, what, then how is that gonna happen? The heart of his kingdom is serving others. 
When we serve like Jesus, number 10, serving feels radical, not typical. I know what I'm saying to you doesn't make sense in terms of the world's philosophy, but what Jesus said was, he says, if you, you wanna be great, be a servant. You wanna be first and prominent, be a slave to others. Willingly serving and meeting their needs, showing them the love. In that wonderful book, in that wonderful chapter in Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, the chapter on service, he makes this comparison between, between the self-righteous service and true service that we can get ourselves into in terms of self-righteous service. He says, self-righteous service comes through human effort. True service comes from a relationship with the divine other deep inside. Self-righteous service is impressed with the big deal. True service finds it almost impossible to distinguish the small from the large service. Self-righteous service requires external rewards. True service rests contented in hiddenness. Self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. True service is free of the need to calculate results. True service picks and chooses whom to serve. True service is indiscriminate in its ministry. Self-righteous service is affected by moods and whims. True service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need. Self-righteous service is temporary. True service is a lifestyle. Self-righteous service is without sensitivity and insists on meeting the need even when to do so would be destructive. True service can withhold the service as freely as perform it. Self-righteous service fractures community. True service, on the other hand, builds community. You see that contrast? Maybe you're saying, you know what? I used to serve a lot more. I used to look out for my neighbor. I used to see the needs of people and meet those needs. I used to engage in ministry opportunities in the church and the community. Or, or maybe you say, I, I never have, but either way, maybe God's spirit is speaking to you saying, hey, it's time to bow down like Jesus did and care for other people. Jesus washed the disciples' feet the night before he was crucified and said, as you've seen me do, do, this is at the heart of my kingdom. Let me just give you some next steps then in how you, you can exercise this practice of service this week. Number one, prayerfully consider Richard Foster's true and self-righteous service comparison. That list is available on our website through our Take 5. Also, you'll see in a moment through just a link that we have that you can access as a resource. But look at those comparisons we just read and let God speak to you. Pray over it before the Lord uh, this week. Then number two, have a conversation with someone on our team about how you can serve. You can call us, email us, take the initiative to reach out. If you're, if you're saying, matter of fact, we still are needing folks and we, we screen all those who work with our children to keep them safe physically and and in every possible way. <clears throat> but if you say, I'd like to serve with early childhood elementary, we still need some folks for the next three months. We got children and students coming and those areas are growing at Calvary, even in this post-COVID world, that's a wonderful thing. But we need some folks who say, you know what? I can serve, I can serve a family, I can serve a child. Reach out to us. And thirdly then, just each day this week, ask God to show you two to three people in your path you can serve. Say, Lord, help me, give me the eyes to notice the needs of people. Help me to serve them. Let me be aware of what someone's going through. Even if it's just an encouraging note, a smile, a kind word, a, a text of encouragement. Every day, give me two to three people and watch what God does to expand your perspective on how you can invest in his kingdom by serving others. 
And then you can find all these things and even that resource of the comparison between true service and self-righteous service at our website. If you go to calvarywestlake.org walk, you can find those resources there to help you take the next steps in serving. Find a way this week to stretch your serving muscles spiritually before God. A man named Frank Grassberger and his wife, Dolores, they're in their mid-90s, live in an assisted living home in Strongsville, Ohio, right there by Cleveland in northern Ohio. And uh, he is a World War II veteran. And in 2009, Frank found a real benefit and a help when someone spoke into his life and he thinks just served him and ministered to him and helped him. When a nine-year-old, Deshauna Priest, in her elementary class there in Lorraine, Ohio, was assigned that she should write a note to a veteran as the other kids in the class would. And her note ended up with Frank Grassberger. And in this note, she starts out by saying, thank you for saving us from Hitler. (laughs) And then she says in the note, dear World War II veteran, if it wasn't for you, we would never have freedom. I'm so happy you made sacrifices. Your friend, Deshauna Priest, Irving Elementary, Lorraine, Ohio, third grade. Now this is in 2009 when Frank receives this letter. It meant something to him so much He's carried that letter with him every day since he received it. Now that he is in the assisted living home and he's in a wheelchair, he tucks it under his leg in the wheelchair. He told his wife, Dolores, not long ago, we got to find her. Before my eyes finally close, I want to say thank you to her for what that letter, that little note meant to me. Well, the folks in the assisted living, the staff heard about this and they sought out and found Deshauna, Deshauna Priest. And the two of them, Frank and Deshauna, met up last month in that assisted living home. And notice she showed up in her Air Guard, or her, excuse me, her Army National Guard uniform. And she said that even writing the note to him was part of what inspired her to join the Guard. And he told her how much that little note meant in his life. It was just a simple thing, an act of a nine-year-old at the instruction of an elementary school teacher. Serving others and adding value to their life doesn't take a whole lot. Sometimes it's messy, sometimes it's sacrificial, but it makes a big difference. And Deshauna Priest, when interviewed by media afterwards, said that Frank and Dolores had really ministered to her in that moment. They added value to her life as they welcomed her. There are people around us every day who are longing to have someone add some value to their life, expecting nothing in return. And we who know Jesus ought to be those people in their lives as we spread not only his kingdom, but we spread the good news of the king. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Christ's example. Lord, may we as your followers be known more for our foot washing than our finger pointing. Lord, may we be known more for avoiding power than grabbing for power. And Father, may we follow the Jesus way. It looks strange and naive sometimes even to our fellow believers. But when we follow the Jesus way, the world is turned upside down, one life at a time. Father, we got a lot of issues in our nation. We got a lot of problems and we could try to solve them by outmaneuvering and getting more power, but you tell us to bend down 
and wash the feet of others. Father, may your kingdom spread through us. May we practice this discipline of serving others, not for our gain, but for your glory. Help me to serve people this week that you bring across my path. Show me two or three people to serve. Help me to serve in true service, not self-righteous service. Thank you for teaching me that lesson, getting on that plane and getting off that plane one day, about how we can be focused on ourselves when we're trying to serve you. Use us in humility, we pray. Amen.